Hi, and welcome to the Bluff Church Podcast. Each week we bring you the Sunday message from the Bluff Church in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. If you like our podcast, we'd appreciate it if you take a moment and leave a review on your favorite listening platforms on iTunes or Google Play. Your review helps other listeners find our podcast. For more information about the Bluff, we invite you to visit our website at thebluff.church or our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just search for the Bluff Church. If you live in the Poplar Bluff area, we invite you to come be a part of the Bluff on any Sunday at 1027 a.m. in the ballroom of the Holiday Inn. Now here's this week's message. morning. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Mason Powell. I am the teaching co-pastor here, and if you are a guest here this morning, we are thrilled and honored that you are here this morning to worship our King Jesus with us. And we do this thing before the start of every sermon where we take a moment and we give a round of applause to a particular area of service here in the church because everyone matters and makes this all happen. This isn't about one guy standing up and preaching because if that's all that there was, I'd be just standing on my front porch just shouting out at the cars going by. Like, this takes everybody. (laughs) I don't know what that was, but I'm assuming it was funny. Um, This takes everybody. So this morning, we want to give a round of applause in recognition to our Bluff kids, to all those who work back there in that room with all the little kids, teaching them the Word of God at a very young age is a tremendous honor that we have people like that who want to take up that responsibility. So let's give them a round of applause. Well, uh, so when I was in high school or growing up, I played a number of different sports, okay? I, I love playing sports, okay? I, I'm, I'm fairly good at some of them, and one game that I love playing more than anything else is soccer. Like, I love the feeling of, of getting a ball and battling through a, another team's defense and scoring the goal with, like, finesse and style. There's really no other feeling like it. And I loved every bit of it, because I got to play on offense, and I, I felt like I got to be that guy to win the, the game and stuff like that. But I hated being put on defense. Like, defense was miserable. To me, defense was boring. I'm like, who wants to be on defense when you could be on offense? Well, one time, I remember we were playing a game, and this is when I learned that me playing on defense is a really bad thing, because we were in a game, uh, I was in eighth grade, and we were playing against our rivals, and it was a heated game of back and forth, and the score is one to one, and the game was coming close to an end, and the pressure was high, and everyone's stressed, and everyone wants to win, because these are our rivals. Okay, we do not want to lose to our rivals. And my coach did the unthinkable. He looked at me and says, Mason, I want you to go and play defense. And I, I tried to tell him this was a mistake. And he's like, no, 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 I want you to go and play defense. And, and I obeyed because he was this overweight, angry man. And I was a scrawny little eighth grader and who was rather terrified of him. And so I went out there knowing the worst was about to happen. And it did. 
Because I get the ball at one moment and, and I suddenly have two guys on me and they force me to turn back towards my goalie and I'm trying to battle against them. I have one on each arm and I'm pushing, I'm shoving and we got the ball and the goalie's running towards me to rescue me and I'm thinking, we might be able to do this. So I pass the ball to my goalie thinking he's going to be able to kick it and we're all going to be saved and, and there's, this pressure is going to be off. Except, remember, I'm... I was an offensive player, so in the, the idea of having pressure on me and a goal in front of me, like instinct kicked in, and my short little pass turned into like a kick or a shot that went like 90 miles per hour right past him and into a goal. And I scored the, the game-winning point for the other team against our rivals. Yeah, yeah, yeah give me a round of applause for that. <laughs> no, no, like I was... I was a little bit traumatized, okay? Like, I was just sitting there, like, I kind of stopped, and everyone, like, the other team's, like, cheering, and they're laughing, and all our team was just standing there thinking, what just happened? Like, it was very clear, we just lost the game because of Mason, and they made me quite aware I was responsible for, for the defeat of our team. I'll be honest, a part of that still tears at me a little bit, because I hate being defeated. And yes, there might be some issues back there we need to have some therapy and talk about, okay? But I, overall, I hate feeling defeated and I hate letting others down. I mean, we all do this. No one enjoys being defeated. And if you are, then you're a weirdo and you probably need to get checked out, okay? Uh, if you know someone like that, they're probably a crazy person. Let's try to avoid people who are like, yes, we're going to lose today. Like, that's, that's a weird feeling to have, okay? That's not normal. But we all hate feeling defeated. Like, no one wakes up in the morning and thinks, yes, today I'm going to lose and I'm going to let all these other people down and I'm looking forward to it so much. Like, no one does that. Okay, we all hate defeat because defeat crushes us. It tears us apart. It reminds us that we're, we're broken people who are an imperfect thing and we can't seem to get something right and it makes us feel like failures. But you know what's the worst kind of defeat? The feeling that you've defeated yourself. When you look at yourself in the mirror and all you can think is the awful things that you know you've done in the past, the things you've been a part of or the things you've witnessed or the things you're thinking, I said this to this other person and it hurt them. Or I've done this other thing and you constantly feel like you're always letting yourself down. And it makes you feel defeated. It makes you feel crushed. That's why we long so much to feel like winners and win because we so oftentimes feel like life is just beating us down and is making us feel like losers and failures. And we're left wondering, where is the hope? How do we deal with this feeling that we're always failing ourselves or failing others? This is what brings us to John chapter 16 this morning. Because as we've been going through our journey through the Gospel of John, we've been looking at Jesus do a couple different things. Primarily, be light in the darkness of how he has stepped into some really dark and uncomfortable places to bring life and healing and hope in those places. But for the past few weeks, we've looked at Jesus telling us how we can do what he has done. 
And it has centered all on loving others like he has loved us. Like this is our entire purpose. This is our greatest potential. It's all wrapped up in a relationship with him that is defined on loving God and loving people like Jesus has loved us. And on paper, that seems easy. But I imagine in the past few weeks as we've been talking about this, of what does it mean to love others like Jesus has loved us, you've discovered how difficult this is, even with the Holy Spirit's moving in you in this direction, it is difficult because it might have been that within 10 minutes, an hour, or later on the day, you found yourself saying or doing something that would say the opposite of what we had talked about that Sunday morning about loving others like Jesus has loved us. Because we're all sinners. This isn't in our nature to love like Jesus has loved us. It is difficult. And we find it that this is not the natural wiring within us because we tend to be selfish, manipulative, greedy. Our main priority is oftentimes ourselves, not loving others like Jesus has loved us. So how do we make this correction? Like, or how do we live in the failure of knowing that we have failed ourselves, we have failed others, and we have failed God to love others like he has loved us? How do we live in that space? Well, Jesus, as he's equipping his disciples to do this, and he's talking about them, he then is, he starts mentioning how he knows that they're going to fail in this regard. That there's going to be times where they're going to drop the ball where they're going to actually score for the other team instead of scoring for their team. And so what we're about to read in John chapter 16 is Jesus kind of instructing of how you live in that midst of that defeat, of those dark feelings you have about yourself, how you live within them. And it happens in verse 25 of chapter 16. If you have a Bible, please turn there or at least follow along on the screen as I read Starting in verse 25, it says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. I love that Jesus is self-aware about how confusing he is. (laughs) Does anyone else ever get confused by Jesus or the things he says? Okay, I'm, I'm glad there's a few of you who raise your hands and knowing that I'm not the only one who gets confused by the things that Jesus says. Because he tries to talk about big, complex things and he tries to explain them with metaphors and riddles and parables and, and tries to make them as simple as possible, which is really difficult because it's still really big, complex things. But now Jesus is saying he's done with the parables. He's done with the metaphors and the riddles. He's going to be very plain and straightforward with his disciples because he knows he's maybe got minutes left with them before he is arrested. And he wants to be very clear that they know what is about to happen. And that that should be both comforting because we're like, yes, finally, he's going to make sense now. But also a little bit alarming because it means the end's coming. And so he says this, and he says, look, I'm, I'm going to be done with the, the crazy metaphors. I'm going to try to be as simple as possible. And he looks at them, and he says in verse 26, he says, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. 
Now, what Jesus has just said, even though he says he's going to be clear, is still a little bit confusing, okay? Because earlier in this dinner discussion that he's having with his disciples, we've been talking about the past couple weeks, he's mentioned a couple of things of like how he is God and that he's going back to be with God, which is already confusing itself to try to understand that. And he also mentions that he's going to be the representative towards God. Like if they pray on his behalf and with his name, that he'll bring those positions or petitions to God, okay? And so here it sounds like if we take what Jesus just said and we take it out of context, it sounds like he has contradicted himself on what he has said before. So allow me to clarify what, what's going on here so you don't think, well, Jesus seems to say one thing and then a few minutes later go and contradict himself. And that's not what's going on. So first off, let me clarify. Every single one of us are in need of a restored relationship with the God who created us. Because every single one of us have sinned, which basically means that we have done things, whether we've said them, whether we've thought them, whether we have longed for them even, we have done things that have gone against the nature of God, against the way he originally designed us to be in relationship with him and in relationship with others based on a relationship with him. We have all tarnished that, which means we have all added to the darkness and the mistakes and the problems within this world. And a rescue needed to happen because it was incapable of happening from within us. Thus, Jesus enters the scene, who is God who has come in the flesh to be our rescuer and to bring us back into relationship with God. And he does that by his life and death and resurrection, where he has come to bring us into relationship with God by faith in what he has done. And what he has done is died for our sins upon the cross. Now, in the context of the story, this hasn't happened yet, but Jesus is still kind of summarizing everything, that he is about to be glorified before God and before men. I mean, he's about to be lifted up so all of our shame, all of our mistakes, all of our failures can be thrown on him, and he can pay the punishments for the mistakes that we've all made before God. So that we, by faith in Jesus, might be able to come before him and have a restored relationship with God, where God's spirit now dwells in our lives and we can walk along with God for the glory of God moving in our lives. But this is not what Jesus is actually talking about. Because in one sense, yes, he's been talking about this, but in that statement that he said in the very beginning of saying he's not going to bring this before God, he's not going to bring, what he's saying is he's not talking about this grand gospel, which we talked about. He's talking about what we do after our faith in Jesus. Because before our faith in Jesus, or before that, we, we need to have a restored relationship with God. So Jesus came in to bring that to being. And when we have faith in God, then our relationship is restored. But Jesus is not talking about how you come to have a restored relationship with God. He's talking about what happens afterwards. Meaning that now because of our faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done for us and for the glory of God, we are now able to approach God and have that restored relationship meaning that, that we don't need someone else to pray on our behalf to get close to God, but God sits on the edge of his throne, eager and waiting, saying, will you please talk to me? He's waiting for the moments when you will cry out to him, saying, God, I need help. God, won't you rescue me? Or just simply, God, here's how my day is going, and I love you. Like he's eagerly waiting on the edge of his throne. The God who created the universe is so much enthralled with thinking, won't you please talk to me? 
And he's delighted when we just simply say, hey, Jesus, I hope your day is going as well as my day is. Or, or Jesus, I hope that you can help me in my day and the things I'm going through. Like, this is what Jesus is talking about, is the relationship after our faith in Jesus. Meaning this is something which God has always desired for us, is to have a relationship with him that glorifies him. And Jesus saying the work he has accomplished allows us now to live in this space where we no longer need a priest to sacrifice a cow on our behalf like in the days of Jesus, nor do we need a pastor that you have to come to to say, hey, won't you pray for me? No, God is eagerly awaiting the moment when you will talk to him yourself. And this is wonderful because this is God's dwelling amongst our midst. And this is what Jesus is saying, that he has accomplished this, so now he's going to go back to be with God the Father so that the Spirit of God might be moving in our lives. And this only happens, this restored relationship only happens based on a faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And the disciples, in hearing all this, of seeing, here's this master plan that God has done to rescue us, and now here's how we live after our faith in who Jesus is. This is what they finally say. In verse 29, his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Finally, they have followed this guy for three years and watched him do unbelievable miracles. And finally, they're at the point where they can say, he is from God. And this is a wonderful moment because Jesus looks at them in, in the midst of this and he says in verse 31, do you now believe? Now, that might sound like a question, but it's rhetorical. And in the original Greek language, it's more of like this exasperated sigh of relief that Jesus is saying, as if he's saying, Finally, you get it. <laughs> I've been with you guys every single day for three years, and you finally get who he is. Like, this is this wonderful moment where Jesus is saying, finally. And then things kind of turn very rapidly. Because in one moment, while he is so happy that they finally get who he is and what he has come to accomplish, he then looks at them, at all these guys who, who've just declared their allegiance to him, even at the spite of it, risked their own life, and he tells them, you're all about to fail me and abandon me in just about an hour. That these guys who've just declared their loyalty and allegiance to him, he looks at them and says, you're about to be defeated. And that's what he says, and it's really hard to hear in verse 32. He says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. This is really hard to hear. Because as if Jesus is saying, Hey, thank you for believing in who I am. Now let me tell you, you're going to be defeated, you're going to lose, you're going to fail me and abandon me in my most dire time of need. Imagine the, the feelings that must be felt by the disciples as if they have just declared their love for Jesus and he says to them, thank you, but you're going to lose. You're going to be defeated. I mean, they have devoted their lives to this guy 
they love him. They, they so desperately want him in their lives and, and want his appreciation. They want his respect. They, they want him to, to know that they love him. And he looks at them and says, thank you, but you're going to fail. Now, why is Jesus saying such hard things to hear? Well, part of that is answered in the first half of verse 33, the very next verse. It says, I have said these things to you. This is Jesus talking. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or trials and sorrows and difficult times on behalf of Jesus. And so on one sense, Jesus is saying, I want to be your peace in this life. And that's not just for the disciples, that's for all of us. And he says, I want to be the thing that gives you rest and peace in this life. But I also know that life is going to be difficult. Life is going to be hard. And it's oftentimes going to be because of your love relationship with me. Because if you love me, you're making yourself an enemy to everyone else. Where's the hope in this thing? Where Jesus says, I want to be your peace, but you're going to fail me. Where's the hope? Where's the peace? Where do we go from that? Like, how do we handle this feeling that Jesus is saying, look, you're going to fail me? How do we handle that? The answer is in the, the last half of verse 33. And this is very important that we, that we be very careful when we read this. Because there are some of you in this room who are, who are going through some real trials and struggles and feelings of defeat and failure in your life. And I want you to know these words that Jesus says are, are, are crucial. This is life-changing stuff that he's about to say here, okay? So it's incredibly important that, that you get this, that you pay attention to what he's saying. And it might be that life is perfectly fine for you, but you probably know someone else who feels defeated, who feels like life is just too much for them to handle. This is what you need to know. And Jesus looks at them and he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. Be encouraged. Be inspired even in the darkness that you're in because Jesus has overcome the world. And he's saying this before he even faces the cross because he knows the cross is not a time of suffering and defeat. It is a time when he is going out towards a victory that he has already proclaimed and that we get to be part of because the cross was not a defeat for Jesus. It was his crowning moment. It was his throne that he hung on to save all of us. And so he goes forward knowing that he's already overcome what's about to happen. You know what that means for all of us? It means your defeats have not defeated Jesus. Your defeats have not defeated Jesus. You might try to beat yourself up all the time and tell yourself that you're a failure, tell yourself that you're, you're not a good spouse or coworker or friend or whatever it is, and you might be thinking, I always defeat everyone else. I always, or I always feel like I'm letting other people down, or more likely, you look in the mirror and you think, how could I do this? How could I live in this way and live in this defeat? But your defeats have not defeated Jesus. In Jesus, we are part of his victory now. I Meaning the victory he went out to go claim was not just his own victory, but by faith in him, we are found in that same victory. So it was never upon us to overcome the world. 
so often in life, we put unnecessary pressures upon us, thinking that the weight of the world is on our shoulders and we've got to be the one to carry it. And we even sometimes bring that into church and that's where things get a little bit unhealthy because we think we've got to be part of everything or we have to be the star of everything, that the whole weight of the church is upon us. It's not. It's upon Jesus. You were never expected to carry the things you go through alone. And those things that you you go to that remind you all the time that you've been defeated, and Jesus, you're now found in his victory. Because those things that defeat you, he already defeated them. And he's bringing us along with him to the victory that's already been promised for us. And I know that can be hard to believe. I know the struggle can be so real Sometimes even in the dead of night while you're lying awake, unable to fall asleep, and you feel the battle in your flesh and your mind, and you think, there's no way this is true. But for the beaten and the broken and the crushed and the marginalized and the hated and the outcast, there is a being who has declared a victory by faith in him that we now get to be a part of that same victory and he's inviting us to be in a restored relationship with him, to be what we were always created to be and that is in a relationship with the God who created us. For the individual who is struggling with those addictions and you think, will there ever be freedom and you've been looking for it in all these other places and you can't seem to find it, there is a being who understands how you feel and he has overcome that thing and he is inviting you to live in a place where you're no longer defined by your mistakes and your defeats, but you're now defined by the restored relationship in Jesus and the victory that is in him because he has overcome the very thing that is defeating you, even that addiction that haunts you. For the individual who's living in the shambles of a cold and crumbling marriage and you think, will this ever get better? There is a being who has experienced the worst relationship experience ever. And that is the relationship between man and God and that broken relationship. And Jesus has overcome that and is inviting us now to be back to what we were supposed to be in a restored relationship with Jesus, that the basis is all on him, that we don't have to earn it. It is all on what he has done. And he's inviting us to live in that so we are no longer defined by our crumbled and defeated relationships. We are now defined by the relationship of him. For the individual who thinks that you're struggling with all these voices in your mind and that you think there's no rest of this anxiety and this depression and all these feelings that tear you down day after day after day, there is a being who understands how you feel and he has defeated that already and he's inviting you to live in the space where you are part of his victory, where you're no longer defined by your limitations and those things that constantly beat at you day after day, but you can live in the restored relationship of Jesus. Jesus, because he has overcome that. For those of you who are living in the past mistakes that you've made and those scandals of defeat, you think there's no way I'm lovable because of the things I've done. And you maybe jump from one place to the next, one town to the next, whatever it is, or you avoid those family gatherings because that's all it is, is a reminder of those things. That is no longer what defines you. You are now defined solely by a love relationship of Jesus where he invites us into that relationship by faith in him and we can live in what we were designed for. And you see, your job was never to be the one to to carry all this burden. 
Your job was never to be the one to overcome the world. Your job was the trust that Jesus already has. And you now get the luxury of living defined no longer by your defeats, your scandals, your addictions, your sins, or whatever your past was, but you get to live defined by a victory that is ahead of us in Jesus. So no matter what obstacles come our way, no matter what times we, we stumble and fall into something that we hate, we can remind ourselves that Jesus has already overcome that and he's inviting us to live in that new victory that is found on him. Do you believe that, church? We get to live defined by a faith relationship with Jesus where victory is what's promised for us. This is not a health and wealth type gospel that I'm saying here. I'm saying Jesus has already won. And when we have faith in him, we're part of the winning team. That's what we get to enjoy. That's what we get to move towards. Imagine what this realization would do for our lives individually. When we go through struggles and trials and tribulations and sorrows in this life and other people see, imagine what kind of testimony we will make to the world if instead of living in our defeats and looking at our past where there's nothing but bitterness and anger, we instead showed an example of saying, this, this might be bad, but victory is ahead of me and Jesus and I'm going towards him. Imagine what this could do for us as a church. Because here at the Bluff, in the few years that we've existed, we've gone through some trials. And we've, we've taken some blows. And we've lost people. We have scars. We have injuries within us. We, uh, there are many things that might point to us and say that we've been defeated. We are no different than every other church because every church has this kind of history. But imagine what a testimony we can say of believing that we still believe the best is yet to come in Jesus and we are going towards him. Imagine what a testimony we can have for our community when they ask, hey, how are things going at the bluff? And instead of us just jumping back to a past, we look forward to the future and say, oh, God is doing some good things and he's bringing us towards a victory in him. Because here at the bluff, we are trying not to look at a past that's full of bitterness and anger. We are looking ahead at the victory that is in Jesus ahead of us. And we celebrate in who he is. And as a body, we are chasing after him together because we believe the best is yet to come. And this is not something that we're just saying in laughable speech. This is something which we are actually practicing behind the scenes that you guys might not be aware of. You see, on Sunday nights, Jody and I have had the small group leaders over our church and we've been talking about what does it mean to be a small group and we've been preparing for a big small group launch that's coming in February, which I strongly recommend everyone to be a part of. And in our recent gathering that we had, we had an opportunity where we were able to gather together and circle around and be able to share those defeats, those things in our lives that make us feel like we're failures, that we're letting other people down, that crush us and defeat us. And sins were confessed in that moment by everyone in the room. And you might think that sounds like a sympathy group. No, it wasn't. It was a wonderful time to remind ourselves that Jesus has already defeated all these things and is inviting us to live in the victory ahead of us. 
And that's something in February when you guys join a small group, when we launch that, you get to be part of that. You get to be part of that celebration of, of being in a community that you are intimately known and, and know that they love you and care for you and that your defeats and failures do not limit you or restrict you. But instead, we are all reminding each other because we need to be reminded of this often that our defeats have not defeated Jesus. So this is something we're practicing here because we strongly believe that. Which is also why, in a little bit, I'm going to pray here, and the band's going to come up, and afterwards, we're all going to go down to the pool. I encourage you to please come down, because we get to celebrate a baptism this morning. Which is someone declaring that they believe their defeats have not defeated Jesus, and they want a relationship with Jesus where he is impacting their life where he is a part of everything. And so this is a tremendous joy that we get to have here this morning, that not only do we get to talk about this, but we get to see it happen before our lives. That is a wonderful thing, church. Amen? Amen? There we go. <laughs> I like that energy, Bailey. Your defeats, no matter what they are, have not defeated Jesus. He's bigger than that. He's stronger than that. He's better than all that. And then he looks at us and he says, mine. Where we get to be in a relationship with him when we are, have the courage to admit that we want him in our lives. So let that be the thing we go out and proclaim this week. As we take blows, as we feel like life is just kicking us while we're down, we can be a testimony both individually and as a church body saying our defeats have not defeated Jesus and we are moving towards his victory. Let's pray. Father God, we, we love you and we cannot thank you enough that in all of our limitations, our defeats and our failures that we haven't scared you away but you're still desiring to have a relationship with us. Where you're still reminding us that you are better. And so we thank you for that, Father. That all these little petty things that we look at, that we see ourselves falling into, those times we look in the mirror and we just, we can't stand what we see because of the past mistakes. You do not look at us in that way. You are the Jesus who, who created everything and is inviting us to live in the knowledge that you are better. So thank you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. You go before I know that you've even